You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse um, 19, in the latter part of verse 19 is where we are going to get uh, started here in just a moment. But before we, uh, before we get the, the message really kicked off, I just want to give God praise uh, for the great news that we are hearing from uh, our brother uh, Guerrero Almos. Please continue to pray for him. He had surgery late, late Thursday night into the early morning of Friday to have a kidney transplant. And uh, his body is receiving that new kidney and is doing uh, most everything that it is supposed to do, but still long ways to go. But continue to pray for him. Continue to pray for the doctors that are taking care of him. Pray for Letty as she uh, watches over him and nurses him. Uh, There is a chance that he will be able to get out of the hospital uh, tomorrow, Monday, uh, but he will have to stay in the area uh, for 10 days. So pray that as he recovers, as he heals, his body would receive and continue to receive uh, this new kidney and God would just make his body work the way that God made his body. God knit him together and uh, he's done it once. He's actually for Guerrero. He's done it a thousand times uh, and he can do it a thousand and one uh, more times. So let's continue, continue to pray for our brother Guerrero. Acts chapter nine, verse 19. We are going to read uh, the story of Saul. We looked last week at the conversion of Saul, but this is the story of Saul starting in ministry. Saul wastes no time from the moment that he is converted to proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. We will see that in our text this morning. Outside of Jesus Christ, no one has, has made a bigger impact on the church than Saul, who would eventually became, would, he would prefer the name Paul. And you might wonder why, why the name changed from Saul to Paul. Listen, Saul was named after the first king of Israel, King Saul. That name was large and in charge. It, had a, it represented someone as large as Saul was. He was a big character. He was, he was uh, boisterous. He was zealous. He was, he was a, a get-it-type-done person. He was Saul. He was the big name Saul. But once he came to faith in Jesus Christ... Jesus was all that he had, as we just got through singing about. He didn't want his name to trump Jesus' name, and Paul is a name that represents that something that is small, something that is very minor. And so even in that name change, the preference of Saul to Paul, we see a humbleness about Saul from the very Beginning. I want you to see this. You want to see how big of an impact that Saul, Paul, has made on the church? Just, just go to your table of contents um, and um, look there in your table of contents in the New Testament. 
and find the book of Romans in your, in your uh, table of contents, not in the actual Bible, but in the table of contents, find the book of Romans, and then uh, draw a line all the way down to Philemon, 13 books. Saul is the human author of these 13 letters to the churches. These are general letters to the churches. These are pastoral letters to, to help churches with the leadership and the organizational structure. These are letters on how to persist, how to, how to, to endure in the face of trials. They are prison letters. They are to encourage us and strengthen us. I'm telling you, Saul slash Paul has made a huge impact on the church. He's made a huge impact on my life and on your life. We see that just in how Saul, in, in the writings and these letters that Saul has given uh, to the church. Um, if you're ever playing Bible trivia, which I don't know if you do, but if from time to time, or if you're in a Sunday school class and someone asks, uh, and you're in, if you're in the New Testament and someone asks, hey, who wrote this book? Listen, you can say Paul and get it right more times than you would get it wrong. <laughs> or, or you can say, I think Paul said this in the New Testament, and there's a good chance that you would be right. That's just the impact that Saul slash Paul has had on the church. We've been in this series for quite some time, quite some time saying this, that his, being God, his word his power his church sends us on our mission his word god's word god's power and god's church sends us on our mission and we see that in saul but here's what i want you to see the mission, even though we are sent by God, by His Word, by His power, by His church, it does not always mean it is an easy mission. And we will see that in Saul's life. So, grab your Bibles, Acts chapter 9. Starting, uh, We're just going to start in verse 19. So this is right after uh, Ananias has gone and, and uh, prayed over Saul. And you remember the, uh, Saul was blinded by the presence of Jesus Christ. He had not been able to see for three days. He hadn't eaten or drink, had anything to drink in three days. Ananias goes and lays his hands on him, prays over him. And when he says amen, something like scales fall from his eyes. And we pick it up in verse 19. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Here's our text. Saul was with the disciples. These are followers of the way. Don't think of the apostles when, when, you, uh, when you think of this. He's, he's with the, the believers in Damascus, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So he is, he is with the disciples in Damascus, and he's been with them for some time. There's Some commentators say that he's been there now uh, at this portion of the text for about three years, okay? Immediately, verse 20 says, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. And here's his message. You ready? He is 
the Son of God. Now, now I, I want to I just pause there for a second. I want you to see what, what Saul is doing. Saul is a Jew, and he knows all of the practices going on in the synagogue. And he knows that in the synagogue, they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you remember, if you go back to Matthew and you go back to, uh, to Mark, when Jesus was arrested, the high priest brings Jesus in. He asks, are you the Son of God? To which Jesus affirmed that he is. And they, they, they cry out blasphemy that Jesus can't be the Son of God. And here's Saul going into the synagogues and he is proclaiming immediately from the moment he is saved, he is going in and he is proclaiming he is the Son of God. It wasn't blasphemous when he said that before you crucified him. It wasn't blasphemous for, uh, for, for Philip to be, uh, or, or Stephen, I'm sorry, for, it wasn't blasphemous for Stephen to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. And we, we stoned him to death for that, but, but I am here to tell you, Saul is saying, that Jesus is the Son of God. You, you can't underplay the impact of what is happening here. That was an unpopular as you can imagine, that was an unpopular statement. It was for that statement that Saul left Jerusalem before he became a follower of Jesus. It is because of that statement that Saul left Jerusalem with arrest warrants for the people of the way, Christians, in Damascus. And now... Saul has been gloriously converted, believing in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, a brother of ours, and he is now going in the synagogue where just a few weeks before he would have been going in the synagogue with arrest warrants to get the people in the community. Now he's going in the synagogue saying, no, 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 they aren't wrong. He is the Son of God. Look at what happens. And all who heard Saul were astounded. They were, they were baffled. They were, they were overwhelmed because they're looking at Saul. He looks exactly the same. He's acting exactly the same. Full of zeal, full of passion, full of fearlessness. But yet what is coming out of Saul's lips is not what they were used to. And they're astounded. They're, they're overwhelmed, and they say, this is the Jews in the synagogues. Listen, isn't this the man, speaking of Saul, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who is causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? Notice what happens, verse 22. But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding. There's just astounding them again, just overwhelming them. Kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus. And watch what's happened. Now he's not just proclaiming he is the Son of God, but now, notice the growth process. Now he is proving that he is 
Jesus, the Messiah. Saul is saying this. Listen, guys, I know the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. I have studied under the the famed teacher uh, Gamaliel. I know these words. I know the prophecies found in the Old Testament. Testament, And they're all pointing to this man named Jesus, who is the Son of God. And so now Saul is with the Scriptures proving, not just proclaiming, but he is proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 23 after many days, and this is where we get the, the three-year period, if you go to Galatians chapter 1, we won't go there, but just write this down in your notes. Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, Paul is speaking, and he is pointing back to this, and he's saying, this is, I, I left for about, or I was there for about a three-year period. So after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. They didn't like his message. They, didn't, they weren't happy with just running him off. They now see Saul as, as they were once clapping him on as a persecutor, but now Saul is the persecuted. They, they, they are planning to destroy Saul. They want to wipe out this new group of people called the way, which we call Christians today, us. But Saul learned of their plot. Saul is protected by the sovereignty of God. God knows what's going on, and he tells Saul, you need to get out of there. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. I want you to notice this. Strike number one. Saul has been rejected by his own people. Can, can you imagine the excitement? You've come to faith in Christ, and you want to go to your own family. You want to go to your own community. You want to go to people who are, who are just like you and, and tell them the great news. Your own people. And they rejected him. They, they, they made a plan to kill him. We see this uh, not as drastic here in the United States, but we see where people are excommunicated from their families if they come to faith in Jesus Christ. But in other parts in the world, many places in the world, if they are to leave their religion, they can be killed for leaving that religion. And many of them are. And this is what's happening to Saul. It's strike number one. His own people reject him. But watch this, strike number two. Not not only does his own people reject him, but now his, his new family, his brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it's, 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 it's like, like going off to a retreat coming to faith in Jesus and then going to your local community church and and that church rejecting you. That's what's happening here. Strike number two, this new family of believers are now, they're fearful of Him and you can understand why, but they, they reject Him. Verse 26, When He arrived in Jerusalem, He tried to join the disciples, the believers there in Jerusalem. 
But they were all afraid of him since he did not since they did not believe he was a disciple. They think he's he's trying to pull a fast one. They think that he's trying to work his way in. They think he's trying to be a wolf in sheep's clothing and to get in among them and then arrest them. And you can understand why they would have uh, have some some uh, hesitance there. Verse 27, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road. Praise God for Barnabas. Barnabas, that name in and of itself, itself means son of an encourager. Barnabas was an encourager. Barnabas takes Saul, recognized that he's been rejected by his own people, now rejected by the church, and he says, come on, I'm going to, you're, you're, you've just been misunderstood. And so let me take you and help some people understand what has happened to you. I'm not going to go into the life of Barnabas. We spent some time in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, so I'd encourage you to go back and watch that Sunday school lesson on being an encourager. But this is what Saul does. He, he encourages, I'm sorry, what is what Barnabas does? He encourages Saul, and he encourages the believers, the apostles, uh, to receive him. And so he says, this is how Saul had seen the Lord on the road. And that the Lord had talked to Saul. And how in Damascus, Saul spoke boldly in the name of Jesus. Verse 28, Saul was coming and going. Apparently, they, they received him at that moment. They, they, took, they took Barnabas and said, because of your testimony, because we trust you, we will now trust this, this once persecutor now being persecuted. And they receive him into the family. Verse 28, Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. There it is twice, two times we see where, where Saul is speaking boldly, he is speaking empowered. Verse 29, he conversed and he debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, the, 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 uh, the brothers in Christ, the other believers, when they found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. They, they basically send him to his own home for a while to protect him. Look at verse 31. From time to time throughout Luke's account in this history of the church, he gives us these little um, the progress reports of the church. Verse 31, we have a progress report. Look at it. So the, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in number. I want us to look at a couple of observations. Four observations that we find in the early life of Saul that gives us a pattern for a faithful witness. We are all called, brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I are called to be a faithful witness. Now listen, we're not called to be Saul, but we are called to be a faithful witness. And Saul gives us, we can see here in his very early life, how he gives us a pattern to be a faithful witness. The first pattern is this. A faithful wit or faithful witnesses are first Christ-centered. They are Christ-centered, not self-centered, but 
Christ-centered. They're not, they're not centered on the, the tragedy that is currently going on. They're not centered on the fear that is going on. They're not centered on, the, on their persecution. They are Christ-centered. And this is what we see in the story. Saul immediately began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. You see this, this Christ-centeredness from the very beginning. He, he is without any doubt in Saul's mind, in his heart, he knows that he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and the beginning of his message of him being used by God to be a witness is this. Jesus is the Son of God. That's his central message. That is Saul's heartbeat. He is consumed with Christ. And the message, if you notice, is not about Saul. It's not about himself. Or, or his message isn't giving some ten ways that you can live your best life now. That's, that's not his message. The Christ-centeredness of Saul can also be seen, maybe even best be seen, I think, in Philippians chapter 3. Write this down in the margin of your Bible or, or turn over there if you want to follow along. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. Paul is... Um, or, or really starting in verse 3, if you just back up to verse 3, Paul is giving his pedigree of self-righteousness. He is, this is who I am. This is, my, this is my past. And then in verse 8, I want you to notice what he says. I also consider everything my pedigree that, that can get me into any door in Jerusalem, can get me into any door in all of Israel, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value, watch this, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's the centrality that, that, that Jesus is central in the life of Saul. He goes on to say, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. But watch this. Saul doesn't say, because I came to faith in Christ, I had to give up this, and 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 man, I just had to give up all of this stuff. No, 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 watch what he says. Because of him, I suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them as dung. A, a pile of horse manure. You know those, those big piles you drive by the, the, the dairies, or you drive by the, uh, the, the fields, and there's just big long piles of, of, of manure from, from the feedlots and, and from the dairies? Here's what Saul is saying. I consider everything that I lost that. Why, Saul? Why, why would you say that? So that I may gain Christ. You see the centrality of Jesus in Saul's life? He, he's, he's, not, he's not complaining of the things that he lost. And listen, he lost, in the world's view, Saul lost a lot. But he says they're, they're nothing. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're worthless. They, they, I, I consider them a pile of, of manure, of dung, of, of rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. You keep on going in verse 9. It says this, And be found in Him, 
not having a righteousness of my own. Saul doesn't want to have a self-righteousness. He says this, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So Paul shows us from the, from the get-go, from the very beginning of his faith in Christ, there is a centrality of Jesus in his life. So listen, faithful witnesses are first Christ-centered. The second pattern I want you to see to be a faithful witness is faithful witnesses are empowered. Faithful witnesses are empowered. Verse 21 of our text, Acts chapter 9, verse 21 says this, All who heard Him were astounded. I, 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 um, I, I spoke about that when I was reading the text. It means they are baffled, they're perplexed by what they're hearing, what, they're, what, what, they, what they hear coming out of Saul's mouth. They just, they're, they're amazed. Their mind is blown. And watch, watch this. And it says this, All who heard Him were astounded, and they said... The Jews in Damascus are, are, are subtweeting Saul. Like, like they, they, they are about to dish out some junk on Saul. And, and, and they're, 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 if they would have had cell phones, just follow with me for you, if they would have had cell phones at the time, they would have had like a, 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 a group text of Jews in Damascus that would have been the title of it and they would have been sending out a text like can you believe what this guy Saul is saying he is saying that that man named Jesus that we crucified is the son of God can you believe that oh, I can't believe that I just that blows my mind that that is astounding I can't imagine he would say that and listen Saul's not in the group text that's that's what's going on here Verse 2, we see the message in the text. Listen, we get to be a fly on the wall. Here's the message. Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on his name? I mean, like, like this was the guy that was arresting people, putting them in jail. Uh, he, was, he was holding the coats when they stoned Stephen. I mean, he, he, he completely gave his authority for all of this to happen. Isn't this the same guy who's causing havoc for those who called on this name? And he came here for the purpose of taking them prisoners to the chief priests. And what would have happened if, if Saul would have been able to take the, the people of the way, the Christians in Damascus, to the chief priests? The same chief priests who crucified Jesus would have crucified them. The same chief priests that would have give, given the freedom for them to stone Stephen would have had them stoned as well. Watch, watch what happens to Saul. I mean, you know, when, when, when you kind of get word that people don't like you, right? You kind of get, it kind of gets around if you're being subtweeted. Like, you can kind of read the tea leaves of what's going on in the community, and you know that, that, that there's, some, uh, there's some undercurrent there of some people uh, disliking what you are saying. Look at what happens in verse 22. But Saul got scared, and he ran out of town with his tail between his legs. No. But Saul grew stronger. He, he, he takes the negative 
He, he takes the persecution and, 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 and God breathes strength into him. He, he empowers him. This, this phrase, but God, God, uh, Saul grew stronger, seems to be a reference for empowered spiritual strength. Because listen, he didn't stop speaking the name of Jesus. He didn't stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. But he kept on. And as he kept on, it continued to confound them. That's what we see there in verse 22. But Saul grew stronger and he kept confounding them, making them bewildered and dismayed. The Jews who lived in Damascus, by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. There's the, he, he's, he's getting stronger in his defense. It's been said this, that every Christian goes through three stages, three phases, if you will, of their Christianity. And, and I would add to this that, that you go through these three stages and they're oftentimes... Um, uh, you're, you're going in and out, not, not just you go through one, you complete it, and you never come back. But the, the, here's the three stages. Number one, the stage is this. This is easy. Uh, this Christianity thing, <laughs> this is easy. The second stage is, this is difficult. Man, oof, this, is, this is hard. This is difficult. The third stage is, this is impossible. This is impossible. I'm, what I'm having to go through right now and, 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 and what God is calling me to at this very moment in my life, this is, this is impossible. Listen, in each stage, my God says this, I am with you. I am your shepherd. My grace is sufficient for you. And because we have those promises from the Word of God that He is with us, that He is our shepherd, that His grace is sufficient for us, listen, we can be empowered witnesses for Jesus Christ. First, Saul shows us that faithful witnesses are Christ-centered. Faithful witnesses are empowered. And then the third, faithful witnesses are bold. Faithful witnesses are bold. Twice in our text this morning, we are told that Saul preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that, uh, that his messages were, 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 were harsh or, or, or brash or, or that they came across uh, caustically. Listen, Saul was full of passion. He was full of zeal. But listen, the former fearless persecutor referred to his preaching. Get this. As feelings, here's the phrase that he used in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He uses this phrase. He refers to his pre preaching as feelings of weakness and fear. He goes on to say, enduring much trembling. Enduring much trembling. Paul asked the churches, get this, here's, here's the Apostle Paul. Once Saul, now Paul, fearless, going into the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Going to the Jews, proclaiming that, that you crucified 
the Savior of the world, the Son of God. We see in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul asks the churches in Ephesus and in Colossae to pray for him so that he might preach the gospel fearlessly. Listen, he, he said, man, I, I want to continue to preach the gospel fearlessly. If I, I believe that Paul would say this, if I listened to my feelings, then, then I would not preach fearlessly. But I don't want to listen to my feelings. I want to listen to God. I want to be emboldened by God. He's not afraid to ask brothers and sisters to Christ in Christ to help him preach fearlessly. Listen, this is a reminder. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to this. This is a reminder that boldness and courage for all others is a gift of God. And He gives it. Listen, go, go back with me to Acts chapter 4. He gives this boldness to those who humbly ask Him. Acts chapter 4. Back up to, to where we were at not too long ago. Acts chapter 4. Listen to this request. Um, verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant, notice the, notice the request, and grant that Your servants may speak Your Word with all boldness. Now, skip down to verse 31. When they had prayed, and the assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the Word of God, how? Boldly. They began to speak the Word of God boldly. Listen, let's ask God, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's ask God to grant us boldness as we make Christ known. Listen, a faithful, faithful witnesses are first Christ-centered. Second, faithful witnesses are empowered. Third, faithful witnesses live bold. Let's not be afraid to ask God to give us bold faith. To help us to be a bold witness for Him. But I want you to see the faith, or the fourth, sorry, the fourth observation that we can see here with Saul. This is the one that we don't like to talk about but is real. The fourth is this. Faithful witnesses will suffer. Listen, following Jesus isn't easy. But He is with us. Listen, the world is full of trials. The world is full of hardships and, and tough situations. But don't ever forget, Christ, there is more hope than there is hopelessness. Let me say that again, there, the, because I, I'm quite certain if we would have all been gathering, been like a chorus of amens with that. The world is full of trials, difficulties, hardships, tough situations, um, things that don't seem fair. But with Christ, there is more hope than there is hopelessness. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to see this, starting in verse 24. Paul shows us the hope 
that we can have in what seems to be hopeless situations, that there is more hope than there is hopelessness, even when we are going through trials, even when we are suffering. But, but Saul, or, or Paul at this point in 2 Corinthians, he is showing us that, listen, you will suffer, but it is worth it. And God is with you. Look at verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 24. He gives this list, and, 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 and if, you, if you just back up a little bit in the text, you, you get this sense that Saul really doesn't even want to mention what he is about to mention. He, he does not want the attention on him. He wants the attention on Christ. And so he's saying this, I am a fool for mentioning this. For even bringing this up, I am a fool. But I want the focus to be on Jesus, not on me. I want the focus to be on the hope that we can have in hopeless situations. And so Saul says, I'm going to uncover some scars for a little while. You know, as sometimes as Christians, we don't want to show the scars. We're too ashamed of the scars. We're too ashamed of, of what has happened in our past. And Saul says this, I'm going to uncover the scars, not so that you look at me, but that you look at Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he says this, Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. In other words, this, five times I was taken to the brink of death, and they stopped right before I died. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and day in the open sea. In other words, not, not in the open sea on a boat, but probably in the open sea on a plank. Saul, wouldn't you give up by now? No. No. Why, Saul? Because Jesus is all I've got. He's all I need. Verse 26, it says, On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentile, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If boasting is necessary, I listen. Oh, this is so good. Listen to what he says. If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. Why? Why would you boast about your weaknesses, Saul? Why? Here's, here it is, verse 31. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. In Damascus, a ruler under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. Watch this. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Paul's word gives us a needed dose of realism. And he is saying, I will boast about my weaknesses so that I can proclaim the strength that I have in Jesus Christ. When I am weak, He is strong. And so I, I, I will boast about my weaknesses. I will boast about my struggles. Listen. Living in a fallen world is tough. We're going to walk in faith in Jesus Christ. Then living in this fallen world is tough. It's difficult. Following Jesus in a fallen world 
involves even more suffering. I mean, without Christ, this, this broken world, there's, there's suffering even without Christ, but, but with Christ, there's even more suffering. So listen, don't be surprised when you face trials. Don't be shocked when opposition comes against you for proclaiming Christ and living the way Christ would want you to live and doing what Christ would want you to do and, and being obedient to, to uh, what God has commanded you to do. Don't be surprised when opposition comes. Paul's words also remind us that in the midst of trials, this is, this is so good, in the midst of trials, we can still rely on and rejoice in the all-sufficient grace of Jesus. This is what Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians, this is what he's, this is what he's getting us to see, that, that we, can, we can rejoice in the sufficient grace of Jesus. Look, look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Listen, we, you know, we're, we're, um, we're proud people. We don't like to talk about our weaknesses. We don't like to show our weaknesses. And listen, I, I don't either. I, I, I hate it. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. If we're never weak, if we never declare our weakness we never we never say god i i I can't do it i i submit to you then how are we ever going to experience his power look at what paul says therefore i will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses why so that christ's power may reside in me so listen church Go to Jesus and be strengthened by His grace. Here's the pattern in Saul's life. Saul slash Paul. Faithful witnesses are first Christ-centered. We must get the focus off of us and get the focus on Jesus Christ. We must get the focus off of our trials and get the focus on Jesus Christ if we are going to be faithful witnesses. Second, faithful witnesses are empowered. Listen, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You are empowered. Third, faithful witnesses live bold. Ask God for boldness, and I believe, I trust, as His Word says, He will give us boldness. Listen, we humbly ask. We don't ask for ourselves. We don't ask to puff ourselves up. We don't ask to make much of our own name, but we humbly come to Him and say, God, would you give me the boldness to proclaim your name? And then fourth, faithful witnesses will suffer. Oh, we see. We see Saul's life radically changed when he came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, some people at the first of the year, not many, but some people the first of the year, they make goals. Uh, if you made them this year, your goals were probably shot out of the water. Um, but sometimes even after a tragic situation in their life, or a tragic situation in the community, people will make a goal and they will say something like this, I'm going to turn over a new leaf 
I'm going to make a, a fresh start. Can I tell you this? The only way that you can make a fresh start is surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, I know we don't like that word. That, that word makes us very uncomfortable to surrender. I don't want to surrender to anything. I want to be completely in control. No, listen. Saul surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And he had a pedigree. He had everything that he could ever want, that any Jew could want. And he says this, I consider it all trash. I consider it all a pile of manure, rubbish, for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Saul surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And you can too. Listen, if you've made that New Year's resolution, that's why most people don't like New Year's resolutions, they can't keep them, but maybe that's you. Maybe it's, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to try to try to become a new self. I'm going to, man, I'm going to join the Arbor Day Foundation. I'm going to try to find purpose in all of this stuff. Listen, you will not find purpose in anything except for Jesus Christ. And He loves you. And He died for you so that you can have a new life. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. There's going to be on, on the streaming service that you're watching, there's going to be a contact card, a, a way that you can connect with us. If you would fill that out with as much information as you wouldn't mind sharing, and just let us know the decision that you're making. Some of you are making a decision for Christ for the very first time. Let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you are watching and you're saying, man, I, I just want to start over with Christ. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. I want to make a, a recommitment to Jesus Christ. Make that note on there. There might even be some, man, we've had some in this, in this live stream crazy world we're living in saying, man, I want to join the mission of First Baptist Church Farwell. Listen, you can make that note on there as well. Let us know. We would love to get in touch with you and share more about how you can grow in your faith, how you can start in your faith. We will get that information to you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.